So it becomes a thing when you're drilling. It's like you don't want to spoon feed it, but you also don't want them to be completely unprepared. And then they end up with, you know, monkeys and a football doing certain things. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Courtney Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. It is Weekly Scrap, number 142. Tonight's very special guest is Jesse Quinalti. And when I say mutts don't scrap, they absolutely do not scrap. They do not get to come on the scrap. They are not guests of the scrap. And Jesse is absolutely no exception. He is a master instructor, the owner of Red Helmet Training in Southern California, four classrooms, command center, uh, training center, specializes in company officer training, as well as tabletop digital fire simulations. Currently a captain with the San Bernardino County Fire Department. He teaches, he speaks, he writes, he presents. He puts out loads and loads, and this is an understatement. He puts out loads and loads of content, all of which make the fire service better. It is absolutely my pleasure to have Jesse Quinalti on as the guest for episode number 142 of The Scrap. Welcome, my brother. Thanks, Corley. I appreciate uh, you having me on here. It's uh, pretty amazing. Number 142. Uh, <laughs> you're doing yeah. them weekly. I only do my stuff monthly. I couldn't imagine doing one of these uh, every week. It's a, it's, a schedule. it's a hectic schedule. I'll put it that way. And yeah. uh, sometimes I, I schedule poorly, but <laughs> right. uh, scheduling is not my strength, but staying steady is. Uh, 100%, anything I missed in the intro? Anything you would like to add? Uh, no. Uh, I think that's uh, that's a roundabout way of explaining all the other stuff that I got going on. But Red Helmet Training definitely keeps me busy. We're 11 years into this now and just forging forward. Awesome. Now, I want to uh, say I got my things up the front. Kyle Romagus, he's usually the uh, uh, unofficial producer of the scrap. He'll be curating your questions and posting them, uh, and we'll be we'll be throwing those at Jesse as we move on. I have an early announcement. I usually don't do announcements at the front end, but Monday, June sixth, this coming Monday, six days from today, uh, tickets will go on sale for the Sooner State Fire Symposium, and this is happening at my department. We are actually hosting this. Uh, it's three days, but it's the same class all three days. So no matter what shift you work, one of those days you should be off. And so early bird pricing on Monday will be 75 bucks to come and catch. It's Todd Edwards, uh, Mickey Farrell, and Anthony Rowett teaching their classes. Uh, you don't want to miss it. it. There's limited seating, so I wanted to just make that announcement. Uh, you heard about it here first, and it's at my department, and I'm pretty excited about it. So all that being said, let's get right into the scrap. Sawtooth Entrapment. Uh, I know there's a lot to it. It's a big story. It's a, it's a, it's a large story, but uh, kind of give us a synopsis of the sawtooth entrapment what happened to you there and your crew and then what it led to yeah so this fire was uh actually july of 2006 uh july 11th we got burned over uh during some extreme fire behavior in a wildland fire environment and there's a ton of human factors that go along with it um we borrowed a fire engine from another department the day before when this fire was building uh so it's a, it was another department's engine. I haven't done a really good checkout on it. So there's a ton of human factors that go along. But basically what ends up is myself and my crew uh, get in a bad spot. We get trapped in the garage of this house as it's burning down. And uh, always, a, always a great thing to like look on those human elements. It's, it's one of the things that I do most of my research and teaching on now, teaching crew resource management and, and a lot of human factor stuff. But it is the catalyst of where Red Helmet Training is today. Uh, like I said, that fire happened 16 years ago, and, and Red Helmet started 11 years ago. So that fire 
uh, made me aware of uh, of what I wasn't doing right or wasn't doing at all, and uh, really showed my complacency to where I'm at now. Awesome, and and I, I liked I listened to the 46 uh, uh, one of the versions on YouTube, that, and so I got a lot of the details out of that one. And I know it's a lot longer class when you give it. And that one was even condensed. But one of the things that fascinated me right out the gate was, of course, I'm a huge fan of Grossman and on killing and on combat, but you really hit on some of the, the code black code red, uh, and, and your body's parasympathetic nervous response system and everything that went through there. Talk on it. If you don't mind. Yeah. I mean, obviously that stuff came from uh, police officers being involved in shootouts and some other studies that they did. And, uh, it came down to, we lose the adrenaline dump actually affects our system to where we're not making rational decisions. Um, Problems with sound, uh, not remembering things that happened or remembering something that didn't even happen during the event. It's pretty amazing that I've been putting on that presentation for 16 years now, and I continue to learn new things every time I present it. And it wasn't until the 15-year anniversary last year I met up with one of my crew members that I hadn't really talked to. Um, She was actually really upset at me for putting her in a bad spot and almost, almost killing her. But she came out to the 15-year anniversary, and we got a chance to talk, and, and I learned so much more. But even after presenting it for the 16 years I've been doing it, I can't tell you that it's 100% right because all four of us have different variations of the story of what, what happened. Um, and, and the funny thing is we always talk about you know, uh, you know problems with light and sound, uh, intensified sound, especially in the dark, and one of those things that should be intensified sound, especially if it's country music, because when we were in the garage and that garage was burning down around us, there was a radio out on the front porch playing country music. And uh, there was a point in time I'm like, you're going to let me down to country music that is messed up. And um, uh, luckily we got out of there, but we literally got to listen to that radio melt out on the front porch until it would no longer play music. So it was, it was pretty eye opening for me and my entire crew. And, and we were definitely close to unfortunately dying uh, right there on the spot. No doubt about it, man. No doubt about it. Uh, lessons learned. Like, what was it? What's your biggest takeaways that, that you pass on? Um, for that, uh, the first and foremost is command presence. Uh, there was a time that we were in that garage and it was getting pretty bad. And, uh, my crew was like, we need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. And I said, no, it is much worse out there than it is in here right now. We need to hunker down, stay in here as long as we can, let the fire front pass through. And then that's when we're going to exit. Um, there's a lot of stories of, uh, you know, the old ranger, John Pulaski, when he was out there, you know, cutting line in the fires of Idaho in 1910 and they get trapped in the mine shaft when, and his crew wanted to leave. Well, John pulled out his, you know, gun, <laughs> you know, and, uh, pointed the revolver at the crew and says, you're not going anywhere. We're staying right here. Well, as a company officer, I don't have that. I don't have a gun to point at my crew. All I can do is just have that command presence and say, no, we're staying right here. So that was a big thing for me. The, it was cited in the after action review that the command presence of the captain keep, kept the crew intact and in the garage. Um, and that wasn't me saying that. That was the rest of my crew in the after action review. Um, and uh, and sometimes we're defending structures that are just undefendable in the wildland environment. We had 100-foot flame lengths, rapid rates of spread. We saw fire whirls prior to our burnover. And, and the huge fire roll we saw, I wasn't thinking, man, that is extreme fire behavior. We need to be heads up. I was thinking, that's badass. Get a picture of that. And I told Scott, get a picture of that. And this was, again, 2016 years ago, 2006. So he takes out his flip phone and got a picture. We got a great picture of it. But uh, that's what was kicking our ass later on. And just understand that fire behavior was huge. Wow. 
No, man, I can only imagine. Uh, people chiming in. Dustin Rourke, yes. Welcome, my brother. Sounds great. Yes, it does. Jacob Johnson said, myself and Jesse need to take a ride together. So I know what he's talking about. That'll come up here in a minute. <laughs> I gotta show. I gotta show the cup I'm drinking of this evening because it's. I'm, right there. I'm assuming he wants me to take him for ice cream. I think that's where that's going. <laughs> I think everybody wants you to take him for ice cream. Whole fire truck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we will definitely talk about it. Uh, all right, there we go. Ben Ben Ho Epner chiming in with wild shit from the wildland. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. Riding it out in a garage would be crazy. Okay, so back to it. So that led to Red Helmet Fire Training, the foundation of Red Helmet Fire Training. Uh, talk to me about that. And uh... Yeah, Red Helmet Training originally started as a uh, tabletop and digital simulation company. Uh, we started out with just an HO scale model railroad miniature city, and we would go around to fire departments and teach tactics and strategy um, all around the state of California. And then eventually we started teaching state fire training classes, company officer, chief officer, and continued to grow from there. Uh, now we have 5,000 square feet of classroom space in Ranch Cucamonga. We have four classrooms, a command training center, conference uh, room, a bookstore, an EMS skills lab. And Red Helmet Training is now the Red Helmet Training Group, which manages Black Helmet Training, which is our wildland division, Blue, which is our EMS division, Orange that does hazmat, Green that does disaster preparedness, um, we just started rescue wow. helmet train that's doing tech rescue and I have all managers in each of those spots, managing all those divisions of the company now. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, you, you definitely found a, uh, a need and have fulfilled that need. We have everything but purple helmet training cause that's completely inappropriate, but we have all the other colors <laughs> of helmets. Uh, all right. Um, how big was the building collection get, or was it just one city? No, so uh, the, the the table is actually designed to be portable. Um, okay. When we first started, we were taking it all around the country. So I can expand it all the way up to five uh, tables that are three foot by six foot with streets on them and buildings. And But uh, as I continue to teach around the country, I figured out that really three tables is pretty much all I need to do an eight-hour session. But every building that we've purchased for the in the model railroad land, right, and, you know, you talk about, well, they're toys, well, these are training aids. These are literally like the best training aids ever. But we, every single building has learning objectives. We have a house that is actually, you know, a, a certain way that it's built. So it is going to give you certain types of fire behavior from the construction. And we go all the way from the residential side of the table to the end of the class, which is a big box. We'll run a big box store fire and, and do commercial fire tactics. We've got a strip mall. I mean, it's pretty amazing when you look at the pictures of and the videos of what we do on the tabletop simulator. It's nowhere near the size of Abbottville that Don Abbott was doing, but we do fairly well with it. No doubt, man. That's very, very impressive. Uh, and the visuals there. You know, it's so much better than drawing or using a whiteboard or anything like that. The visuals there, the 3D and, and the, the rigs and everything. Yeah, we're literally, we're just color coding cotton as far as if it's light smoke, gray smoke, dark, you know, and we, we have different levels of of orange and red cotton that we just place wherever we want it to, to show how big the fire is. And a lot of the pictures on the tabletop or a lot of the buildings on the tabletop, we also have pictures that we've put into digital combustion. And actually we can show the screen of them up on there with, with digital fire as well to give them a better understanding of how, how the fire's doing. How it's actually behaving or yeah, what, how it's presenting itself. That's awesome, man. Uh, mainly for strategic and tactical purposes, obviously just, just building those decisions, putting those models in place. 
Yeah, we started off with a city table, and uh, we can do multi-casualty incidents on there, structure fires. We, we've done active shooter training oh, wow. on it before, even uh, an active shooter that's actually mobile, where they're going down the street and shooting people as they walk down the street. Uh, we've done a lot of incident command stuff, disaster preparedness on it. And then we expanded into a sand table to do wildland fires. And uh, and then we eventually got a sand table. We cover with hamster bedding and we actually light it on fire. So we can actually do wildland fires on the burn table, which is a totally one of the best training tools we've ever seen. Um, it And it, it's pretty amazing as the table dries out throughout the day and the the relative humidity of the hamster petting goes down, the table like starts taking off in the afternoon and we start really ramping it up. Oh, wow, man. That's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Uh, Dustin Rourke wants to know, do you have a small kit? I'm assuming about, uh, if you might have to clarify the question, a small kit, like buildings. He's saying for purchase. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're not in the business of like purchasing tabletop stuff. It's all HO scale model railroad and matchbox cars. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. But even the hoses that we use, we, we cut strings that are literally 187 scale. Uh, so it's 200 feet of hose. And that's a really important part when we're doing the big box, uh, like the Lowe's home improvement store is we show them like, look, this is as far as you want your hose line going in there. And that Lowe's takes up an entire three foot by six foot table. So it shows them like, look, this is how big that that building is. And we're starting to talk about limited area search, limited area fire attack, finding the closest door to the seat of the fire, not plunging all the way from the, the lobby side or, or wherever, all the way to the back of the warehouse. Right. Um, that that scale really um, helps get them get the tactical stuff in their head. So I'm, I'm asking on 187th, I'm trying to do math in my head and it's impossible. <laughs> how long how long is a 200 foot? Uh, probably about nine inches. Okay. Long, probably. And then the and then the uh, the lows is how big? The lows takes up an entire three foot by six foot table. If it was completely the scale, it's it's okay. pretty massive compared to a matchbox car right. next to it. And we we that building is only a third of the size because we couldn't build it to the full thing. We have to describe to them this was to fully to scale. It would take up an entire table. Wow. No, that's awesome, man. That is that is great, man. I never even thought of it until I watched your videos and I'm like, wow. So it, is, go ahead. Oh, even for like engineers, like spotting, like that's huge. You know, like where are you spotting the apparatus? And we we have miniature hydrants all over the table and you know, where are you getting your water supply and truck placement? Uh you know, it's not just it's not just the captain's talk on the radio. It's great for crew training and uh, and working through those pieces of the puzzle not blocking in the truck, you know, fun stuff like that. It's, it's good stuff. No, solid. Okay. Um, do people mock it for saying, Hey, you're just playing toy, uh, playing with toys, playing with matchbox cars. Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, my son is 16 now, but when red helmet training first started out in 2011, he was five. Right and, on. Uh, if you don't think he was playing with those matter of fact, uh, we actually did a, for his 14th birthday, we took over Red Helmet Training, all 5,000 square feet, and we did this birthday party, this zombie apocalypse birthday party. Okay. It was three hours long, and they actually used the tabletop simulator to, like, plan the escape. They had to get from one side of the city to the other to have an LZ and get in a helicopter to get flown out of the city before they carpet bombed the entire city. And then there's a whole other scenario that they did where we showed the helicopter crash, and then we put them in a dark room and... And it's pretty funny because it's really a it's from a leadership class that we teach and we use a zombie apocalypse thing in this class. And uh, so they have topo maps. And in this thing, you have to the batteries in the radio are dead and the flashlight batteries that you have or the headlamp batteries are the same ones. 
If you want to see the topo map or you want to talk, you have to move the batteries back and forth, back and forth. To, to talk to the other crew or see the map. It's a, it's, it's a huge leadership program we do here, uh, group dynamics and leadership uh, that uses the zombie apocalypse. And my son used it for his birthday party when he was 14. No, that's all. And I'm kind of jealous. I wish, you know, uh, uh, that, that's a pretty fun childhood. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, moving from there, Slab Savers. So Slab Savers. You... Go ahead. Yeah. No. Uh, Slab Savers came out of me being the training officer and trying to teach our current and future company officers a way to organize a system on running a fire, running command. And uh, no offense to Lloyd Lehman. I, I love Lloyd Lehman. Uh, but it's 1953 when he came out with, with Recio. And for me, Recio um, can find, extinguish overall the fire. Well, those that's what fire tech is doing, whether they're a group or um, or they're just a task level engine company doing fire tech. That's what they're doing. So it was before rapid intervention crew or Rick or RIT, whatever you want to call it was out. And it really doesn't have a great, like a search and a fire tech divided component. So we, I started teaching savers um, probably 20 years ago as the training officer search attack vent extension or exposures. And there is a difference. Extension is internal exposures or external from the building okay, okay. and then Rick and salvage. And we actually taught them how to take those from the task level to the group level. If it got bigger or even to the division level, if you're doing divisions, if the fire is on the third floor of a five story building, well, that's your attack floor that becomes division three. So you cross out the a for attack and make that three. The floor above that is the extension. You cross out the E make that four. Um, so we can do it with divisions or groups. And it's literally just a quick system to literally look at the way to run a fire. Um, as we continue to teach that class and we brought it to red helmet train, the slab is probably fairly new over the last 10 years okay. that we added that in as a thing to determine if your offensive or defensive strategy, because the savers is your tactics. The slab is your strategy. Okay. So your safety profile, what's, what's going on with your safety stuff? Is it safe for you to actually make entry depending on what's going on? Is it hoarder conditions? You know, obviously Ryan Pennington would can cue in on this stuff. You know, is it, uh, are you having a, an explosion, a partial collapse? You know, so what certain safety concerns do you have? What life profile do you have? Where are they? How can you get to them? Do you, do you have VIS potential? Do you have occupants outside? So we talk a lot about life profiling and where to find those. And sometimes I think that um, rescue profile has gotten a kind of a bad rap of, well, I just, I can determine from the outside that there's nobody stable inside there. So we don't go in. That's not what life profiling is. Life profiling is literally like, what's the best way to save the lives in the property that we need to, and where are those lives? So we hit that pretty hard. And then we get into the air track or the airflow, um, depending on the, the terminology we're using, but it's really reading smoke. And that's part of determining your strategy. And then the building profile, is it big box? Is it, um, is it a strip mall? Is it got a common attic? You know, what's the building profile that's going to come into and each one of those uh, gets basically a red light, yellow light, a green light to help you out with your decision-making process. And uh, yeah, did a couple of magazine articles on it. We we have our own website on that now, and it's it's been pretty successful. Nice. Do you have a, a command sheet that kind of goes with it, or is it? You know, the funny thing is we, we purposely uh, have not made a command sheet because it's really we want them just to learn the letters that makes, to me, the letters that make sense. And kind of be able to just do that on the fly because I know okay. as a company officer, I'm used to I don't have the board right at the at the back of the the SUV that I'm rolling out. So Slab Savers keeps it real easy for me to kind of keep those things in check as a running command captain 
Um, and it's just like on the tabletop simulator, a lot of people are like, well, why don't you have pre-plans? Because we want you to learn how to read the building based on these windows, based on these, you know, um, and we have some pretty in- intricate buildings on the tabletop simulator that you literally have to get a good read of the building to figure out the problem. Very nice, man. Uh, Chad McKeevy chiming in said, been a long week of waiting for the scrap. Thank you all for making this happen. Much support for you all from West Columbia, Texas. And he actually spelled out y'all. It's not just me adding it in as an okay. <laughs> And uh, Brad Atkins, thank you for the support. So loving it. Um, search attack, ventilation, exposure extension, Rick and Salvage, Dan Sabers. It's a, it's a, it's a mnemonic, and like you said, it's one you can keep tucked away in your head. Uh, firefighter, yeah, we have, go ahead. We have a website on there, like slabsabers.com. Um, there's a couple of videos of me just showing some simulations and walking through the process. So yeah, if, if you're if you're looking at just kind of like how to use a system, it's it's pretty simple. Um, it's there's ways to expand it. We have a whole RIC module that uses the rescue acronym. You know, we have a whole, um, it, there's several other uh, acronyms. I apologize up front. I'm an acronym guy, uh, but it's <laughs> something that's quick, dirty, easy to use. Um, and, and the whole program, it's five acronyms total. Gotcha. Okay. And on slab safety, you said safety out the beginning, safety profile. I think that's what you say on slab. Yeah. Sa- safety profile, life profile. Uh, air, track. air track. And then and building. The building. Okay. So on safety, you're not saying you're saying, What's atypical about this stuff to, to kind of like your lookouts or, or it's not just, uh, what, what is, what is the safety I'm trying to say? It's not about just how do we stay the safest? So does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I'm looking for safety things that are going to actually going to change my decision making or my, or my strategy for me. Obviously if I got power lines arcing on the Charlie side of the structure, well, that's going to affect my tactics on the Charlie side. Um, and it's, it's not the hazards that are a problem. It's hazard plus firefighter equals problem. If you remove those firefighters from the hazard, um, then you're looking at, well, what, what's the best way to do that? And I, I call it the rule of eights, even though there's only four of them because they end with the word eight. I want to locate those hazards, communicate those hazards to all the resources, and then I want to isolate or mitigate uh, those hazards from the, from the incident. Locate, communicate, mitigate? Isolate, mitigate. So I can isolate, isolate that okay. hazard. And in California, we use what's called the three stripes are out. We'll take three stripes of flagging and put it up. That means nobody goes under or under the over or under the flagging. It's three stripes, meaning like even firefighters shouldn't be back there. So if we have power lines down, um, we can also post a lookout. Uh, but a lot of times we'll do three stripes. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, firefighter Book Club. Man, like I said, this guy has fingers in a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things. Uh, firefighter Book Club. How's it going? Uh Tell us about its mission. Where, where did yeah. it, I mean, obviously you like to read, but go ahead. Uh, Firefighter Book Club. I mean, it's, I like to read, but at the same time, Firefighter Book Club keeps me honest. It keeps me reading a book every month. Um, and I, I, I was not doing that for quite a while. So it kind of brought me back into getting back into the game and reading. Uh, we've been doing it a, a little over a year now. Uh, we had Chase Sargent doing Buddy DeBoss on there. Jared Sergi had his book on there. Um, we've had, uh, Rick Lasky just not too long ago doing pride and ownership. So, uh, we just get on zoom. Um, we have, uh, you know, just like this, we, we have a thousand members uh, nice. in the group now. Um, not all of them show up for the live. I mean, really the live we a dozen usually, right. um, and they'll just watch the recording later, but the whole goal of the book club is just to make better firefighters because readers are leaders and leaders are readers. So we, we decided like, Hey, let's just kind of keep a, a running book club, uh, thing and read a book every month to kind of go from there. That's awesome, man. No, I love it. Um, so you've done about a dozen books now. Yeah. I think we're at 14, 15, somewhere okay. in there. 
Uh, and like I said, I'm only doing a monthly. I'm not doing, trying to do this every week like Man, you. Man, I can't even imagine trying to read a book a week. I actually, <laughs> like 2019, I tried to do a book a week, and I made it like 16 weeks in, and I could not keep the pace up. Yeah. I found myself picking books based month. on – Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And we just – we just started a new thing uh, immediately after the Firefighters Book Club. We have an s- additional meeting right after that called Writer's Block. And this is for people that are interested in writing a fire service book. We have six people in there right now. And we talk about formatting and plagiarism and content. Uh, we talk about publishing. Uh, I, I literally just talked to Mark Hoff from Penwell Publishing uh, the other day because he's they're publishing my book right now nice. and uh he's going to come on here in a couple of months so if those people are interested in going through pinwell or going the amazon route or however they're going he'll at least talk about the the benefits of going through pinwell if that's what they want to do he's, he's going to be on there so we just started writer's block our first first meeting was last month and we just the first thing we did in writer's block is just make a dummy i'll call it a dummy but a a a, a, a cover of your book like what do you what would you want the cover to kind of look like and in a in the amazon kdp uh publishing app there's a cover creator so go in there make whatever picture make the title on the back put your bio and print it out and put it in front of your computer because that's going to keep you motivated to to keep writing hopefully um so they did that and then they just kind of came up with some basic chapter ideas as far as what they're going to look like and then the next meeting that we meet on June 6th after John Norman's book, uh, Working with Giants, we'll have the next meeting, which we're going to start talking about formatting. Are you going to do a six by nine book or what size are you looking at? And, and we got a couple of templates that we can send out to the group as far as what size and some template stuff. That's very awesome. No, no. Awesome resource. Uh, I got a question coming at you from Darren Harmon. If I can get that out of the way, I'm trying to figure it out. Go away. That's the question? Yep, go away. He's very, very adamant. Uh, Perfect, Volunteer, turn career, quickly turn into training officer. Love what I do and what the fire service is about. Small department, best advice to help keep guys passionate about training. I think as a training officer, one of the things I look at, and I'm going to kind of lead into one of the last questions that Corley was going to ask me, but the, the big thing is looking at the difference between training and drilling. And I think that as a training officer, you're, you're expecting your crews to do the training, the upfront learning, to get the cognitive stuff and the psychomotor stuff down, and then you're going to go out and test them in their skills. Um, and I think one of the mistakes that, that the fire service makes in general is that, um, that we tend to, uh, like if, let's say my department goes out and puts everybody through low-angle rope rescue training, you know, and a certified class or whatever you're going to do. All three shifts go through the training, and then the following year – the training schedule comes out and in January it says, okay, go out and set up a, uh, you know, a couple of anchors. And then the next month it says, go out and do some litter lashing. And then the next month it says, go out and set up a Z rig. Well, any firefighter that's been around long enough knows that there's going to be a rope rescue drill. That's going to come up. You know, we're going to take the dummy and we're going to throw it a couple hundred feet over the side. And, and the engine crews are going to come do a multi-covered drill and go get it. The sad thing is we we invested as a department our time, our money, and everything else to put all three shifts, all, all the members through certified low-angle rope rescue training, and they should be able to do that tomorrow, right after that. Um, so it becomes a thing when you're drilling. It's like you don't want to spoon-feed it, but you also don't want them to be completely unprepared, and then they end up with, you know, monkeys and a football doing certain things. Right. You know, if, if that's what you're going to end up with. As a training officer, 
you, you have to have a fine balance of making sure that they're prepared without spoon feeding the drill. I, that That's my opinion. Nice. Got a timestamp. 27, 37. No, very, very great question from Darren. Thank you for that. So, firefighters in fire trucks eating ice cream. Okay. You want the backstory? You want to start at the backstory? Let's start at the backstory. Okay. So, like I said, with my tabletop simulation, um, I'm one of those guys that latches on to Don Abbott. Don Abbott, uh, the, the, the guy that's doing all the Mayday studies now. Project Mayday, yes. Yeah. So Don Abbott started off with this big, uh, I'll call it a big miniature city uh, called Abbottville. And he would take this thing all around the country and teach tactics and strategy and disaster preparedness when he was still working for Indy. And uh, when Brett Tarver uh, died in the supermarket fire, uh, Bruno tapped uh, Don to come out to Phoenix. And he had them actually, he had Don start building the command training center, the original command training center that it is in Phoenix today the old fire station that they converted over to the CTC. Well, Don Abbott at that time, he actually built a scale model of the supermarket that Brett died in. There's a couple of videos in managing the Mayday classes and stuff like that, that they teach that you can see the scale model. So I was hanging out with Don at a conference and we're just kind of talking about model building. And I was talking about how did he build the scale model of the supermarket fire. And we kind of laughed about like gluing our fingers to, you know, walls and things like that. And, and uh, I was like, Don, it's crazy that you literally built a scale model of the Brett Tarver incident. He goes, oh, no, you want to hear one better? I also built a scale model of the Pentagon and had a plane crash into the Pentagon scenario years before 9-11. The federal government had me come in and actually do this big scenario of a plane crash into the Pentagon. And I'm like, Don, that's insane. And he goes, yeah, it's just crazy. You can actually see some of the conspiracy video theories, uh, videos out there. And you can see Don and his wife, Bev, with the Pentagon model. Oh, wow. So I'm wrapping up this conference. I'm flying back with a buddy, Paul Strong, from the state of Washington. And I'm telling him, I'm like, that's it, man. Next conference I go to, I'm bringing a camera. And we're just going to – I got to record some of these crazy stories I hear at conferences. And you, you've probably heard the same thing. You go to these conferences and you hear all these crazy stories that you never hear in the classroom. Right. And I said, that's it, man. I'm bringing a camera. I'm going to start capturing some of this stuff. And after two legs of a flight home, I called Paul up and I said, uh, hey, you ever seen that Jerry Seinfeld comedians of cars getting coffee? And he's, he's laughing at me because he already knows. He goes, what are you thinking about? I go, firefighters and fire trucks getting ice cream. Nice. And, uh, and that's, that's where it started. Um, we're filming season two right now. Um, it's been hugely successful. It's pretty amazing. I don't know how I find a fire engine every place I go teach. These guys are handing over the keys to their prized possessions. I've got to drive like a 1972 crown that was old LA city engine 27 out of Hollywood. Uh, I've got to drive a brand new Rosenbauer for the first episode, a 1953 international where the, the gears are going out and it's all checked up. That's with uh, that's an episode with Phil Jost, the guy that does reading smoke. Now reading that smoke, Dave Dodson right? is retired. Um, and the whole time that fire engines breaking down on me and uh, the clutch, I have to push in the clutch and the throttles getting stuck. So Phil has to keep going down down underneath and like resetting the throttle because it keeps getting stuck. And I just start laughing because I'm like on this episode of firefighters, fire trucks, getting ice cream. It takes two firefighters to drive one fire engine. It's just, yeah, it's just, uh, it's a great time. Uh, I just finished up uh, filming an episode with Nick Brunacini. Um, We get to talk about his dad and and, uh, we filmed it at the uh, Brunacini command training center. So that one was awesome. I can't wait to finish editing that one. 
So how many how many episodes was season one? Uh, season one was thirteen. Okay, I was going to say fifteen. I thought it was about fifteen. Uh, maybe it was fifteen. Yeah, it, uh, there's there's a kind of weird thing like when did season one end and when did season two begin? Yeah. And then there's even a lost episode. Uh, Jared Sergi, all of his footage is missing. We don't know where it is. <laughs> we keep hoping we're going to find it on a drive someday, and we'll we'll call it the lost episode with Jared Sergi eventually. But unfortunately, right we find it yet. Love it, man. Uh, your book. Strategies and tactics for employee fires. Yeah. Um, so I've been writing that for five years. Okay. Amazingly enough. Uh, like I said, Red Helmet Training just turned 11 years old. And for our five-year anniversary, we did a learning from leaders program. I bought, I brought out a big name every month for the entire year of 2006. Uh, I had John Mittendorf here. We had uh, Frank Viscuso. We had uh, Dave Dotson and Phil Jose. Uh, Brunacini, uh, Chief Brunacini came out, um, and it was November of 2006, one of the last ones, Anthony Castro's came out. And I was driving Andoni back to the airport, and uh, I was getting ready to go teach that class, the Strategy and Tactics for Employee Fires class at a conference in Utah. So he was asking me some questions about the class, like, what are you, where are you going next? What are you teaching next? And I, and I told him, like, this new, new concept back then that I was starting to teach, the Strategy and Tactics for Employee Fires. And basically what it is, is we're, we're taking fire ground terminology and applying it to personnel problems in the firehouse. So how do you do a size up, right? You know, what, where's, what's their building construction? Are they lightweight construction where they're going to collapse if there's a problem, you know, and they're going to spread a bunch of embers uh, to other people, you know, um, uh, you, or is it concrete construction where they're going to hold in that heat for a long time. And now you don't have, know that they had a problem going on until you have this massive fire. So we talk about building construction. We talk about reading smoke. Is the smoke coming from their ears? It's a cognitive problem. Is it smoke coming from their hands? They can't throw a ladder properly or from their feet, some type of manipulative thing. Is it smoke coming from the spine? They just don't have the courage to face up to the problem or from the heart, you know, where it's a, it's an effective learning domain stuff. They know the policy or the expectation procedure. They just don't want to follow it because of an attitude or, or, uh, you know, whatever. Um, or is it just smoke coming from their Charlie side? Cause sometimes guys just talk out their ass, you know, so I got to look at, well, where's the smoke coming from? And then we use Reseo VS. We talk about ventilation. You got to let your, you got to let your people vent. But at the same time, me as a company officer, I want vertical ventilation. If you've got gripes and complaints, I want them coming up. Nice. And then I also need to do positive pressure ventilation. I got to put positive, clean, fresh air back in. If I'm just like, yeah, the chief, this, this, and then I'm just doing negative uh, ventilation and I'm just spreading that fire. So there's a lot of concepts in it. Um, a lot of great guys helped me out with the book. Uh, Anthony Castros, uh, Mike Galliano, uh, Jared Sergi, a bunch of those guys submitted case studies. Chapter 13 is just case studies from a couple of guys. Uh, Chase Sargent that wrote Buddy the Boss did the forward for the book. And then the tough chapters that I'm not an expert. Um, we have a, a chapter on rules of engagement, which is all the legality stuff. Weingarten, Skelly, all those types of things. Kurt Barone from FireLaw basically wrote that chapter for me. I originally sent it to him like, hey, can you make sure this is all right? And he goes, no, Jesse, it's all jacked up. He goes, are you okay with me rewriting that chapter? So Kurt Barone pretty much wrote almost the entire chapter on that. Um, We also compare arsonists to bullying in the fire station. And uh, we had... um, uh, Dave Emanuel do a section on that as far as bullying. He's like pretty much the, the guy out there doing that. And then Jeff Dill did a section in the rapid intervention crew chapter 
which is basically firefighters that get in trouble due to emotional, you know, financial, whatever type of stuff. And you have to send in professionals to help them outside of your box. And he actually did some stuff on uh, firefighter suicide in there because again, I'm, I'm not the, I'm not the subject matter expert on that. So we tapped into Jeff Dill from the firefighter behavioral health Alliance. So there's a lot of great people that came together and, uh, and hopefully that'll be out by the end of the year. Hopefully. No, no. I love the concepts behind it. I love taking the fire ground principles and applying them to, to dealing with personnel issues. I, I, it really is unique. And it's something I think that will resonate with firefighters. Like, like it might stick better than, than reading, you know, uh, <laughs> right. Your typical, um, when I first started teaching management, I was trying to teach the eight step method of counseling and it just, it didn't work for firefighters. And I, and not only did that help the way we we're breaking it down into like fighting fire, um, it also changed the mindset of, you got to remember, we always talk about our people are our most valuable asset. Well, sometimes we don't treat them like that. So it also changes the mentality of you're here to save your people. They got a, they got a fire going on. Your job is to save lives and property. Okay. Well, let's talk about them and let's talk about salvaging them. So not only did it change, like giving you a, a real good thing, and there is a tactical worksheet on that. <laughs> I do have an employee counseling tactical worksheet for that, that program. Nice. Uh, but it also changed the mentality of like, what's my best, as a company officer, what's my best way to save them? And sometimes you can't. Sometimes, unfortunately, you have to watch people burn themselves down. You got to scrape them down all the way down to the foundation and try to rebuild them or, or say, hey, you're just not going to fit into this community and you need to go build your house somewhere else. You know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. No, that's that's phenomenal. I love the concept behind it. Very unique, and uh, it's almost like one of those. Wow, how come no one's done this before? It's brilliant. I love it. That's exactly what Chase Sargent said to me. He said, "Man, I wish I would have thought about that. I would have stole that shit from you a long time." Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. But it's almost, you can talk about it now because it's almost about to get published. I'm going to buy it when it comes out. And you got to <laughs> you have to sign it, and then we'll do yeah. it on Firefighter Book Club. Yeah, we'll, we'll switch. We'll switch roles. Somebody's got to interview me on the book club when my book comes out, so you can do that. All right, done. Uh, you have your fine. It's safe to say. I mean, we're just scratching. You have your fingers in a few pies out there. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. What's next? Um, you know, I, I I keep cruising along. Like I said, writer's block is actually our newest development. That was that was pretty cool to start that. Um, we are right now building a uh, website called firefightercoach.com, Kind of doing some online uh, promotional process stuff. It's very very early on stages. Uh, but it's pay-per-click video on how to do an inbox exercise or a teaching demo, oral interview. Uh, but that one's I'm trying to build it in my spare time, which I don't have any, so it hasn't really gone too far. Um, uh, eventually, I got six or seven more years to go till I retire, and then I'll probably build another Red Helmet training in Northern California and try to manage two instead of one. But. You have them pop. You can pop them up and start franchising across the country. <laughs> yeah, most of it's based on state fire training curriculum uh, in California, so it'd be tough to franchise it further out than that. But I definitely have a niche here. Like it, I love it. Um, all right, I'm going to go right into your wheelhouse and talk about book or books that you think firefighters should be reading. Uh, I mean, there's a list of them, and, and pretty much anyone that's been on the Firefighter Book Club, I, I mean, they're, the reason why we got those first ones there is it's, I, I've already read those books, and they, they were like a phone call for sure. Um, Pride and Ownership by Rick Lasky is definitely high on my list. Uh, Jared Sergi, No Nonsense Leadership is, is definitely one of those ones. Um, I would say Working with Giants with John Norman is my next one coming up. I'm still reading it, so the jury's still out on that, but it's John Norman. It's got, it's got to be good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and last month was huge because we had Nick pop on here. We did coordinating ventilation and, uh, 
it was the first time that the Firefighter Book Club has actually done a strategy and tactics book, not a leadership book. So that was really cool. And I think we're going to kind of like kind of expand into that. But uh, I mean, there's there's so many out there. It's crazy. Crazy. No, no, without a doubt. I love getting, I love getting new, uh, new books from everybody. Uh, Papa's book, unbelievably good. Uh, working with giants. Like you said, you're working your way through it. Uh, pride and ownership, one of my all time favorites. So uh, yeah, like you said, anything, uh, what books are you planning for the firefighter book club? You said you're moving Uh, more towards tactics. You're just going to mix it up. Yeah, we, we try to mix it up. And and again, it's all based on people that I know and phone calls I can make. And we're, we're trying to reach out to some other authors, uh, Frank Viscuso is always jamming me up, but mostly like when are you taking me out for ice cream, just like Jacob just was. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm sure we'll have a step up and lead uh, eventually. Um, I'm trying to get Ryan Pennington, uh, get his book with the Hoarder Homes scheduled mm-hmm. here pretty soon. Um, there's a, another one. What was the last one we were trying to, uh, Oh, I think I actually have it in my stack. Um, so jump seat, seat leadership by Joshua Chase. If yeah, you've never Chase, seen that yeah. one. Yeah, I got to call. I got to get a hold of Josh and try to get him scheduled here pretty soon. And then another one, which is pretty interesting. Um, this is uh, when children die. Um, this is by Pat Wills, and he's a fire investigator out of Long Beach, and he had a really tough investigation where he had three kids that died in a garage converted into a living area. Uh, he's actually one of my instructors that teaches fire investigation for me. So we're working on getting him scheduled as well. Um, this book made me cry multiple times. So uh, I'll have to try to like get through the book club meeting without crying. But uh, yeah, that's that's some of the ones that I know that I'm working on over the next couple months. Beautiful, man. No, it's exciting. I'm going to get more involved with it too. I'm a member. I got to get involved and be there, not just watch the videos later. Um, yeah, absolutely. Smoothbore Cartel himself, uh, Kyle Romagas said, Dave McGrail, Dave Fornell. So he's throwing more names at you. <laughs> yeah, there's so many great books out there, and just just trying to line them up. One hundred percent. You should do step up your teamwork, then roll it into step up and lead. That's from Tony Nunez. Both of them. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Viscuso is the best, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, All like right. I said, he, he keeps jamming me up to take him out for ice cream. He's it, come to Jersey. I'll find you a fire engine out here. I, was like, I know Frank. I'll get it. I promise. Uh, next fire. Okay, so. We have a thing we do on the weekly scrap. We do it every week. It is called the five questions for firefighters. After about a hundred episodes, we had to switch it up and we changed it to the five questions for firefighters. And so, um, the answers are a hundred percent your opinion. There is no right or wrong. Technically, uh, the points are completely arbitrary and assigned by me. So Jesse Quinalti, are you ready for the next five questions for firefighters? I think, I think so. All right, here we go. Number one, what single characteristic makes the difference between a run-of-the-mill firefighter and a top-tier, go-to, badass firefighter? I think for me, as a, as a firefighter that knows how to think and understand what they're going into, um, I don't know if you have time for a story, but stories go, are Go, go. you got all right. the time so, you need. So there's a – and this will actually lead into the next one, which is uh, one of my favorite training drills. So I'm okay. going to answer two questions in one, right? So Okay. One of my favorite training drills is we go out and find a vacant house in my area, which I – there's plenty of them, but we'll go find a vacant house. And I basically will pull up to this thing and we'll say, okay, this is a life rescue fire. we got a report of people trapped, whether that's through a verbal or a visual type of thing. And uh, I say, all right, so we're going to get to the front door. I want hose tools, masks ready to go. And from the time the air brake sets, we're going to get to the front door. Um, so how long does that take? Well, my goal in that is to get ready to get make entry in two minutes. And that's me getting a 360 
giving a condition report, all those types of things. My firefighter get a line stretch, getting it charged. So the first time that I'll do it with a firefighter, we'll go out. He'll stretch the line. I'll get my 360. I'll grab tools. We'll pack up, meet at the door, mask up, get ready to make entry. And my engineer stops the time, right? My, my engineer is actually responsible for actually using the stopwatch besides putting it in right? So I'm right. giving a multiple task. It might be tough for some of the engineers out there. And so the first time we do it, he stops the watch. He goes, okay, two minutes and 50 seconds. And uh, that's just a random number I threw out there because all engineers do everything in increments of 50, right? Pump at 150, bake at 350, get up at 750. We know that. So, uh, uh, so he stops the time. Good. Two minutes and 50 seconds. The next thing I do is I grab that firefighter. I bring around, bring them around to the other side of that fire engine. I say, okay, what color is the house? How are you forcing entry? How many stories is it? Where's the next window for exit bailout, right? Most of the time, those firefighters cannot answer those questions because they were very task, right? Task saturated. They're, all their goal is to get to the front door, get my line charged. They're not thinking about anything else. And that goes into that calculated risk model, right? Well, the firefighter, if they're calculating risk, they're not seeing all that. They're task-oriented. As a captain, well, okay, I should be doing that calculated risk. I'm doing a hot lap. I'm trying to grab utilities, right? And that's probably in that type of situation, I'm doing the hottest lap ever because I'm just trying to get back around. I'm probably not seeing much. I'm trying to get back there with my firefighter so we can make entry. There's no two in, two out. It's two and two on the way. Right. Um, that's my favorite drill. And that's also what I think makes a good firefighter is the ones that are pulling hose and they're still able to see everything that's going on and have a good understanding of it and be a thinking firefighter. If you're teaching and some of that is the way that we teach. Right. And the way that we test, if your probationary firefighter testing is still you start off with your ground ladder on the concrete. Right. I've never been to a structure fire yet. When we pulled up the ladders in the middle of the street when we got there. It's got to come off the engine. It's got to come off the truck. And we have firefighters that struggle with getting it off the engine because all the stuff they did in the academy was the ladder started off on the ground. So uh, if you go out and you do your wildland progressive hose lay for your annual wild progressive hose lay and you're doing it in the park on flat ground and nice grass while there's a mommy and me, you know, meeting going on so you can see all the moms out there, you're not doing yourself any favors, you know, Uh, so those are some of my favorite drills, something that's uh, thinking, something that is um, something that's actually making them do the job. Doing the job and processing and taking in all the information at the same time. Yeah, that's no. that's my goal. Dude, I love it. I love both of them. I will uh, absolutely give Max points on number one and number three. <laughs> number two, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice as a rookie, what would it be? Um, so I'm gonna give I'm gonna give you two answers. And uh, the first one is not only just from the standpoint of a rookie, but this is your entire fire service career. And I'm actually going to cheat. This is actually an answer from John Salka from FDNY. Uh, He was asked this question at a conference uh, several years ago from somebody in the audience. If there was one thing you could change in your fire service career, what would it be? And John's answer, and mine is definitely the same, spend more time at home. Spend more time with your family. Um, and that can be tough. Uh, just like you said, I got my hands in a lot of pies and I'm, I'm doing a lot of stuff. Uh, but I purposely find those days on my calendar. If you look at my calendar, it's a color coded A, B and C, like red, yellow and green. That's right. blue. Like that's nothing because I have. OK, these are purple days. These are days I set aside for my family where I'm not doing anything for red helmet training. I'm not doing anything for the department. Um, y- you have to do that. So I would say that's my first one. 
the other one, as far as a good probationary firefighter, is uh, is just time management. Um, I think that's and fitting into the culture. I think as a probationary firefighter, I think where most people struggle. If you're struggling with skills, if you're struggling with you know uh, certain things, the crews can help you out a lot of that stuff. Um, it's the fitting in that you really have to do. And a lot of departments are getting really great at like assigning a mentor to a probationary firefighter to help them through those struggles of when do I start making dinner? When do, how do I get all that in? How, you know? So I think those are the big things for probationary firefighters learning that, um, you know, and, and, and understand the job role, the SOPs, you know, that's, that's huge. I like it. I like the answer. I like Sokka's and your answer there. It's very, very nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, not, it's not original, but it's, it's definitely the right answer on that. I, I love – no, no, I, that's what that's – what, I mean, if that's the advice you would give yourself, I, I can't knock it whatsoever. Uh, and you answered your favorite training drill, which I also love. Number four, what mistake have you learned the most from in your fire service career? This may be easy answer for you. I'm not sure, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. obviously we talked about sawtooths and uh, and with firefighters and fire trucks getting ice cream, if you guys get a chance to watch that, uh, amazingly enough, all of the episodes that I've done have been with like presenters out there in the field, you know, other instructors like Salka and, you know, Chase Sargent and all those guys. Uh, but episode 13, Lucky 13, is actually revisit to the sawtooth. And uh, that that one, we literally go out and visit the site on the fire engine, very similar to the one that we were on. Um, so there's a ton of learning stuff in there. And, um, uh, but yeah, the, the biggest mistake that I've ever made uh, was pulling that engine kill switch in that engine without me explaining it too much. But that biggest mistake was somebody up there looking out for me. It was, it, that's how that came down. Man. Okay. Uh, final question, heavy fire, searchable space. Would you rather, be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES. I, I, I told Corley at the beginning, this is the, the question I was dreading the most because I just get to talk on the radio now as a captain. Uh, I don't get to pick between those two most of the time. And uh, I, I, I mean, I don't remember the last time I touched a nozzle and, uh, and all that. But what I will say with the VIS, and, and here's the thing, the newest uh, article that I'm working on right now is called Tearing Down the Walls. And if you look at over 50% of our residential structure fires are cooking fires. And all of those kitchens now, they're tearing down the walls and they're making those big open concept rooms, right? So the kitchen is now the living room and the dining room all together. Sure. And it's not just the new houses. Um, everybody's watching HGTV and all this stuff. And so all the old houses, they're ripping those walls out too. So now you get a fire in there and it's expanding into the kitchen, the dining room. It's not contained to that little 10 by 10 kitchen anymore. And this is a drill that we just did not too long ago where we went out to some new condominiums in my district and we were doing these life rescue drills. Well, we're also seeing that the parents' bedroom is on one side of that, that kitchen, dining room, living room space, and the kids' bedroom is on the other. So my personal feeling and this open concept into the second floor is completely changing that with vaulted ceilings and stuff like that. My personal belief is the opportunities for VIS or VES or whatever alphabet or window initiated search, the newest lingo, uh, whatever you want to call it, is only going to continue and increase because you're going to see more and more often those parents standing out in the front yard saying, my baby, my baby, my kid, whatever, because they're separated from their kids on the other side of the house with that open living concept. So um, not, not, 
So I would say that, uh, yeah, I think my opportunities for that are going to increase. So if I got to ch- if I got to choose, I'm ready to go VIS because that's going to be the new game changer. Absolutely, and, and it is, and and I really love your your uh, breakdown of the new floor plans and how they're affecting and making that an even uh, uh, more effective tactic. I, I haven't actually heard it spelled out like that, including the vaulted ceilings, the open floor plan, all of that kind of just spelled out. It's beautifully put together. Great answer. Yeah, uh, it's changing the flow path. As soon as you open up the front door, it's all coming to you now. I mean. It's a big game changer. We talk about lightweight construction, like with collapse and stuff like that. Yeah, that's there. But the biggest game changer of open concept construction is it's a change in fire behavior and a change in rescue problems. Right on, right on, man. There it is. The five questions for firefighters, according to Jesse Quinalti. And with that, that is officially 142 scraps in the books. Uh, Jesse, if someone wants to get a hold of you, more info, best way to go about doing that, what do you suggest to them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so the website is uh, redhelmettraining.com. Uh, that's how you can get on, get on there as far as what we offer, what I can teach for you if you want me to come out there. Uh, Firefighter Book Club is firefighterbookclub.com. We also have a Facebook group that most of our members are uh, pretty established on. Uh, Writer's Block is connected to that as well. Uh, fireicecream.com is firefighters and fire trucks getting ice cream. All those videos for the Firefighter Book Club and uh, the Ice Cream Show are also uh, on YouTube as well, so... Um, those are some of the easy things that I'm doing out there, and that's how you can connect to him. He is everywhere. So doing the housekeeping, uh, go to firehousevigilance.com. Shirts, stickers, hats, the book, everything is there. Uh, the loading hats arrived June 2nd. This is my model. They arrived June 2nd. They've been so hard to get a hold of if you know anything about Richardson's and getting the colors you want. So I don't expect them to last long, but they are coming in on June 2nd. Uh, Next conference I'm hitting is uh, first in conference, Little Rock, Arkansas. It's in Bryan, Arkansas, right outside Little Rock. Uh, this weekend, in fact, uh, Kyle Romick is going to be there, Mo Davis, uh, uh, Clyde Gordon, Chief Scott Thompson. Uh, I'm forgetting people, so I shouldn't list. Uh, it's going to be an amazing weekend, so if you're in the Arkansas area, still get tickets. After that, next weekend, gone to Texas, Fire Forum. Uh, the following weekend with my boys from National Fire Radio, we will be making some noise there and, and interviewing people, and it'll be a great time. Uh, I know my housekeeping is getting longer. One more thing. Uh, if you're going to be at any of the conferences, I love getting pictures. So make sure we get pictures. Every one of you next up on the scrap is going to be, if I can see that far, Drew Elliott. And it's going to be a good time talking to Drew. Uh, that's pretty, I think that's it. I'm trying to see my notes. I have no scrap next week. I am on the road for almost the entire uh, week. So there'll be no scrap. Uh, other than that, man, thanks for tuning in audience. I always love your questions, Jesse. Thanks for being a phenomenal guest. Thanks buddy. I appreciate it. Always fun. Everybody remember mutts don't scrap. I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Everybody stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the weekly scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.